we thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. We just thank you for the opportunity and the time that we've had this morning where we can just shout your fame, that we can glorify you and lift up your name, Jesus. Oh, we thank you for boldness resting upon each and every heart. Father, that we would have boldness to stand in this age in which we live and stand up and declare the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the righteousness of God, and to sing his praises and declare it over all this earth. Because we know that in your word it says that if we don't, even the rocks will cry out. Well, it's not their job. It's my job. I'll worship you, God. I will lift up my voice and I will sing to you. I will glorify your name all the way to the ends of the earth. Father, we thank you for the time and the season in which you planted us in. We're here for a purpose and for a reason in the season in which you planted us, God. And so we thank you, Lord, that we go ahead and say we will be fruitful where we've been planted. We will be fruitful in the time that you've given to us, Lord. Oh, we don't have to look back and say, wouldn't it have been good to live then? Or look ahead and say, oh, it would be so great that we get to live with Jesus face to face. No, we're grateful to live where we are now, God. We thank you that there's good things going on in our lives right now in this season. There's good things going on in this earth right now in this season. Hallelujah. So we thank you, God, that we can praise your name. We thank you, Lord, that we can give you glory and honor and praise. Oh, Father, so we thank you. We do as your word says. And Peter, he said that if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that you lift us up. You exalt us. You give us purpose. You give us a reason in the season in which we stand. And so, Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, did you bring your shouting shoes this morning? If you didn't, I'll give you an opportunity. You can go back out and come back in because when we come to church, we come to praise God. We don't come to listen. We come to participate. We come to contribute because we're all the body together. I'm really excited about what we're going to be preaching on today as we continue on in our series of the nature and the character of God. Last week, we were covering one of the redemptive names of God, and that is that he is our Jehovah Nisi. He is the Lord, my banner of victory. That's one of his names. He's our banner of victory, that when he goes before us, the victory is assured. Come on. Man, we got too many weak, pathetic Christians that are like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I do. Put Jesus before you. He is the guarantee of your victory. Come on. And so we've now we've covered six of the seven uh, major redemptive names of God. We looked at Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. Come on. That covers so much. Whatever you need right now, he is your provision. We looked at that he is Jehovah Shammah. He is the God who is present right now, right here. And if he's with you, and if he's for you, who can be against you? We briefly looked at he is our Jehovah Shalom. He is the God, my peace. Oh, come on. If the world needs peace in this time, you've already got it on the inside of you. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but I, my peace. It's my peace, and I impart it to you. Come on, wasn't that the declaration of Jesus when he came on this earth? The angel said, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. He wasn't talking about the wars ceasing. He's saying peace has come down, and that peace was name is Jesus. And that peace is now on the inside of you when you've received him. So he's our Jehovah Jireh. He's our Jehovah Shammah. He's our Jehovah Shalom. We looked at he is our Jehovah Sidkenu. He is our righteousness. Your right standing and your ability to come before God is not based upon what you've done or what you will do. It's based upon Jesus. We looked at him being our Jehovah Raha or our good shepherd. He leads us. He guides us. He directs us. He comforts us. He brings us beside still waters. He brings us into the green pastures where we can feast. Come on, are you getting kind of an idea that the characteristics of God and the nature of God are all good things? There's not one name of God that I am the God who likes to smite thee. I'm, I'm the God who wakes up fickle in the morning and you don't know which one you're going to get. I'm the God who can't be relied upon. 
No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so last week we covered Jehovah Nisi. He's our banner of victory. And as Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Always. Every time. Without fail, every time he is leading you into victory. Now, we need to say something about this verse, though, is because most people remember it as it's translated in the King James Bible, which says, thanks be to God who causes us to triumph. And that word there is definitely not cause. And so a lot of people get the idea that I'll pick on Annie, because last week I picked on Christopher, and I was poking and prodding on his arm, and I completely forgot that he just had surgery on that. So, Annie, <laughs> when God wants to lead us, he said, Annie, let's go this direction. Oh, look at that. Annie followed. But what God doesn't do is, Annie, we're going this direction. <laughs> Whether you want to or not, you're coming over here. No, 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 this way. Thank you, Annie. He leads us into triumph. We don't always follow him into triumph. Because you can look back on your life and say, like, well, there's some times that weren't so good. That's because I wasn't a very good follower. <laughs> and when we learn to look to direction for him, as we learned with Adonai, the master, when we look for his direction, we find his protection and his provision. And so we need to endeavor to be better followers and better listeners to what God has said. And the, the thing is that so much of the body of Christ doesn't even know what God said because they've never actually read what he said. Or they've heard somebody else talk about what they think he said, rather than actually investigating what it says. I use a lot of scriptures, and I really, really, really wish more people would write them down and go back and read them and make sure I'm not lying to you. Because I screw up. Oh, come on. If you do, I do, we all do. We need to be able to know what God actually has said for us. And so he says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. In Christ is very important about this. is because we get the idea, and it's very popular in our society, is I can do whatever I, I can be whatever I want to be. I can do whatever I want to do. I can be strong. And, and that's, that's great that, yeah, we, we should open up the horizons before people and be like, yes, there's a big world out there. You're not stuck. But the key to this verse is that it's in Christ. And just like Paul told the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ. I can't do all things, but what I do through Christ will always be led into victory. Come on, we're not even done with this verse yet. This is a very short verse, and there's so much packed into this. When we read this, it says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. When we read that word in triumph, we think, oh, victory. He always leads us in victory. A triumph means something very different to a Roman culture than it does for us. Do you want to know what a triumph was? A triumph was when they had won the battle, they had done all the campaigns, they had gone and captured the king or the leader of whoever they were fighting, they brought back all their noble people, and they threw a victory parade, and they led them before the people saying, look, they came up against us, but we won, we defeated, and now's the time we all celebrate. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so he always leads us into the celebration parade, the celebration of victory. And every stage of your life is a time for you to celebrate. Come on. You say, well, if you knew what I was going through, Pastor Jordan, you wouldn't want say that I can celebrate. Because I know what you're going through, I'm telling you, you need to learn how to celebrate even when it doesn't look good. Because he's leading you into that triumph. He's leading you into that victory celebration, even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it. But as you follow the directions, oh, you might as well get ready to dance. You might as well get ready to shout. You might as well get ready to have a good time because that's where he's leading you. And if you don't feel like that's the direction, go back to him and get on the right direction because that's where he leads. Because he is our Jehovah Nisi our banner of victory. And as we looked at last week, it was Moses who declared this characteristic of God. It's Moses who recognized it, and the word for banner there comes from the word rod. 
which God would always say to him, Moses, what's in your hand? And he says, it's my rod. And then when once Moses threw that rod down and it turned into a snake before him, God said, throw it down. It turned into a snake. And God said to grab it by the tail. And as we said last week, that's not how you grab a snake. You, you grab them by the, by, by the head so that they can't turn around and bite you. And God said, no, grab it by the tail. And what he was saying to Moses is, give up control to me. And as he grabbed that snake by the tail, it turned back into the rod. And it no longer was called Moses' rod. We see it referred to as the rod of God. And whenever that rod was lifted up before the people, victory was assured. When they needed water in the desert, God told Moses, Go stand on the rock in Horeb with your rod, and I will stand with you. Take that rod, hit the rock, and water came out of the rock. Last time I checked, that's not something that naturally happens. You go outside, grab a stick, bang it off a rock, I guarantee you, water's not coming out. But when God told you to do it, and God said he would be with it, you can be assured the victory is guaranteed. Because where the Lord leads, victory is guaranteed. Whew. And so we can look back at our life and say, well, there's been a lot of times where I, I just don't feel like things worked out quite the way I thought they were going to work out. There's different types of faith. And we, we generally like to gravitate to the one. The one where it's like, I believed for this, and then God just made everything disappear, and it was like, oh, it's all good, it's all great. That's only one type of faith, and we call that triumphant faith. There's also transcendent faith, where God brings you through it, and it does not have an effect on you, and you come out the other side looking unscathed, even though you've walked through the valley of death. And so sometimes it's like, God, why, why does it seem like my enemies are still here? Then it's a time where we need to realize he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. That we can walk through with the provision that we need in the season that we are because his victory is guaranteed, even if it looks like things haven't changed yet. Sometimes you just got to keep walking and do a little bit less whining. I said it last week, if you've got time to complain, you've got time to reign. Because it's out of the fruit of your lips that will give praise to his name. What have your lips been flapping and saying? Come on. I think maybe later on in this year, I know we're running out of time in this year, we're going to have to do a, a reminder lesson on the words of our mouth. And how the Bible says they're like that rudder on the ship. It turns your whole life. It's like the bit in the horse's mouth. You pull it one way and the horse turns. Your words are pulling your direction. And so if God's trying to lead you one way and your mouth is leading you another, something's got to yield and something's got to change. Come on. <laughs> Told you I'm a little stirred up this morning. <laughs> because we haven't even got to the one we're going to talk about yet. And that is, we've talked about six of the seven major uh, um, redemptive names of God. But as I'm looking at them, I don't know why they said there's only seven, because there's a lot more than seven. And they're like, oh, they're little, they're just minor ones that don't have that much implication. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about a minor one that's not really that much minor, and that is he is our Jehovah Sabaoth. He is the Lord of hosts. And when you hear that, it may not mean much to you, but there's a very multifaceted uh, outlook and definition behind this word of him being our Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Now, the general definition that usually gets given to this one is that he is the commander of the hosts of heaven's armies. And he is. He is the commander-in-chief of not only heaven's armies, but also the army of the Lord, of which you're a part of. Come on. You know, I saw a good meme a few weeks ago where it's like the church thinks that they're on a, on a cruise line when really they're on a battleship and they need to muster their positions. We've spent a little bit too much time laying in the sun when we should have been getting the battlements ready. We should have been preparing for what God is calling us into because he's not called us to a cruise ship. He's called us to be a member in his army of which he is the commander-in-chief. And when the commander-in-chief gives an order, you better get your butt a-moving. Come on. You think about just in the military, there's probably been a lot of privates out there that thought, oh, I don't really have to do what they tell me to do. And they found out pretty quickly, yeah, you do. 
because shoveling the latrine is not a fun job to be assigned with when you're getting punished for not listening. Spending time in the brig is not a fun time when you should have been out on patrol with your buddies. Come on, I'm sure Nathan could tell us a lot about army life. But it, you learn pretty quick, you do as you're told. And he is the Lord of hosts. He is the army commander of heaven's hosts that includes the saints and the angels. And the first usage that we ever see of the Lord of hosts or Jehovah Sabaoth actually comes in a way that we wouldn't quite expect. And so this morning we're going to tell, tell a bunch of different stories. Some stories from people in recent times, some stories from out of the Bible. But are you up for some stories this morning? The first time that we see the Lord of hosts used is by a little woman named Hannah. And Hannah was loved by her husband, but she was barren. He had two wives. One was named was Elkanah, and, the, her, his, and she, her name was Hannah. And Elkanah had lots of kids. And she liked to lord over Hannah that, ha ha, you've got none. But her husband loved her and kept giving her a double portion when they would go to sacrifice at the temple. And so after several years of this going on, Hannah, her heart was breaking before God, and she went into the temple, and she knelt down before him, and she said, Oh, Lord of hosts. And in the context of what she was saying, she's saying, God, you command everything. And all of the people that we see everywhere around this earth came from you. And she said, Oh, Lord of hosts, I ask you, remember me. Give me a child, and I will offer him to you, and he will serve you forever. And that little boy, that God remembered her, gave her a son. His name was Samuel, and he became one of the greatest prophets that we see in the Bible. All because a woman came before God and said, I understand you command everything, and this is such a small thing for you. Because we, in her mind, she understood that it was a small thing for him. How many things are going on in our lives that are a small thing for God, but we haven't bothered asking him, because as Jessica was saying this morning, because we don't want to bother him with our problems. There's nothing too small for him. And though he is the God of all the hosts, he's also God And if he was able to give someone else a child, a child for Hannah was no big thing. And so she said, if you give me a son, he'll serve you forever. And so when he became of age, what did she do? She brought him to the temple and said, you live here now. Eli, he serves you. And Eli wasn't a very good priest. But even with bad mentorship, God was able to raise up a great prophet the prophet the nation needed, the prophet King David needed. And so the second time we find the Lord of hosts happens in 1 Samuel chapter 17, one of my favorite um, stories in all of the Bible. And it starts with a little shepherd king. He's been anointed by Samuel to be king of all the nation, but yet he's not sitting on the throne. Man, and I have such a great picture because there's things that God puts in your heart to do and there's things that he's promised you, and you look and you're like, well, why hasn't it come to pass? You've got to be faithful, and you've got to walk it out. He's already been anointed king, but yet he's still out in the fields with the sheep. And there's a battle going on, and the Philistines have come up against the nation of Israel. And so David's father, Jesse, sends him to the battle with some meat, some cheese, and some bread. And he brings it there, and as David comes in, he delivers it to the, to the guy who handles the provisions. And he's just kind of seeing how his brothers are doing. And here marches this giant down the other side of the hill. There's a hill on one side, a hill on the other, and a valley in between. And here comes this giant hulk of a man coming down the other side. And he says, send me somebody to fight. If I win, you serve me. If you win, we'll all serve you. And he begins to mock them. And as he begins to speak these things, all of Israel begins to crawl into their foxholes. They begin to hide because they don't want to get mistaken as one who might be volunteering. They're all trying to keep their head lo low. And David's looking around and he's seeing what God's people are doing. 
And he begins to say, he's like, why are you hiding? Somebody get up there and kill this big old guy. Do you not know who you are? And as he's looking around and he's saying, come on, somebody's got to do something. His brothers are going, shut up, David, shut up, get down. And finally, word gets back to Saul that somebody's willing to fight. And they bring David. And you got to think, he's just this little, little kid still. He's just a young teenager. But he had enough vinegar on the inside of him and knew a little bit about who God was from all of his time in the field, worshiping God as he led his little sheep, which allowed David to be able to understand God is a shepherd. He leads, he guides, he protects. And so David, he's standing there, and he's like, I'll fight him. Come on, send me out. And Saul's like, okay, well, I guess you're better than nobody. And the reason why Saul was willing to send a kid is because the Philistine didn't come for anybody. He came for Saul. Saul was head and shoulders above all the people of Israel. He was a tall, big guy, and this giant wanted to prove that he was bigger and tougher than the king of Israel. And along comes this little guy and says, I'll do it. And Saul's like, I guess you'll do. And he puts his, puts his armor on him, and of course Saul being this giant of a man as well, and this little kid, it doesn't fit. And he's like, I can't do this. And he says to Saul, a lion came, take my sheep. And you know what I did? I grabbed it by the beard and I killed it. A bear came, take my sheep. And you know what I did? I grabbed it and I killed it. And this Philistine will be no different than them. And so here's where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40. It says, then he took his staff in his hand. Come on, we've been talking about God as our rod or our banner of victory. What is it? The great shepherd says that he, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. It is a weapon of comfort, and it's a weapon of protection. And so David took the thing he knew, the thing that he had seen of God, and he took his staff in his hand. And he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And this is very symbolic because Goliath had brothers. And I'm sure there was a lot of, lot of talk going through the camp. This is only one of their giants. What happens if the other ones show up? Well, David picks up a stone for one of them, too. Because he saw one giant's enough. I'll take all of them on. Come on. He didn't care if all five of them were standing up on that hill. He knew who was with him. And he put them in his shepherd's pouch. And he had his sling in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. And so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore his shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked up and he saw David, he disdained him, or he began to mock him. And he said, for he was only a youth and ruddy and good-looking. Which I know Goliath is thinking is, uh, is a bit of a dig. He's young, he's ruddy, and he's good-looking. Well, I guess that's old, better than old, fat, and ugly. He's youth, he's ruddy, he's good-looking. And he says, so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come out with me with a stick? Mocking the staff. Come on, the enemy will mock when you put God before you and you hold the banner of God and you say that he goes before me and my victory is guaranteed. The enemy will mock, let them mock, they'll be put in their place. Yeah. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said, come on, when the enemy has their words to say, you better have some words of your own in your mouth. You better know the God in whom you serve and what your response will be. He says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He's like, I'm putting you on notice, Philistine, that your words have been heard, and I am the response. My God is on the move, the one who commands all of heaven's armies. And he says that this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, I will take your head from you, and this day I will give your carcass and the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the 
the earth. Come on, for every insult the enemy weighs at you, you better put it right back in his face that how dare you defy my God. He is greater than you. He is greater than all. And in the end, I will win. Come on, we need to get a little backbone in us. When you understand who's on your side and who leads your army, there's nothing that you can't do. You can run through a troop. You can leap over a wall. It doesn't matter if you have to attack an army on your own. God is on your side. And David says, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. There's areas of your life that are begging to know that there's a God in your life. But so many Christians have been so silent for so long, the enemy thinks, oh, that's great. I don't care what they know as long as they're quiet about it. Come on, we don't need quiet Christians. We need bold Christians. Hallelujah. And then he says this. Then all this assembly, who is he talking about? All those guys cowering in their holes behind him. All this assembly shall know that the Lord doesn't save with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. He's not just the Lord of natural armies and natural abilities. And oftentimes we look about what we can do naturally. Well, I can pay this bill because I've got this much coming in, but I can't pay this one because I don't have enough. God is not just the Lord of natural abilities. Is he not greater than your source of income? Is he not greater than the doctor's report? Is he not greater than what you see before you and what you see of yourself? And the answer is yes, he is. He's not just the Lord of natural abilities. And we have to say that because a lot of preaching these days has become nothing more than self-help. And there's good aspects to that where people need mental, mental health, health help in that area. But we also need to know that God is greater than all of that. And he can deliver you in a way that you haven't thought of, psychologists haven't thought of, governments haven't thought of. God is greater than it all. He is the Lord of all the hosts. And so when we look at Jehovah Sabaoth, it comes from the word Saba, which means to hosts of armies hosts of angels it means the sun the moon the stars it means the whole creation and the animals that live within it he has a lot more at his disposal than you got in your house and in your hand and so david said I don't, uh, you come with a sword and a spear and a javelin i brought the only thing i needed god So he's not just the Lord of natural things and natural abilities. Jesus himself said as he was being arrested and Peter tried to stand up and defend him with the natural means he had, the little fish knife. And he chops off the servant's ear and Jesus has to pick up the ear and he sticks it back on Malchus's head. And Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I can now pray my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of armed angels. Do you know how many angels that is? 72,000. He's like, I can just say, like, God, boom, here they are. <laughs> you know, they're, they're at my disposal. You know, we look at the story of Elisha, and he's, he's been telling the king of Israel the plans of the enemy. And so that every time the enemy tries to come out and attack them, they just move their army. And they get there, and they're like, where'd they go? And so the king thought, you know, they, we must have a traitor in our midst. And they said, no, 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 it's not one of us. Because then the generals, of course, have to say that because they're the ones that were trying to keep their heads on their shoulders. <laughs> it's like, it's not one of us. They, they've got this prophet guy named Elisha. And every time that the, you want to do something, he tells the king of Israel what you say in your bedchamber. Why? Because God's there, too. He knows what everyone said. He knows what everyone's intentions are. And he knows how to move you where you need to be right when you need to be. And that's why we need to listen for the direction. And we need to spend more time focusing on listening rather than doing. We need to do, but make sure you hear first. And so the, they find out where Elisha is. And they send the whole army there to surround him. 
And they, they, they wake up in the morning, and the servant goes out the door, dun, 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 go get some water, and he looks out, and they're completely surrounded. He's like, shut the door. Come on. It's okay if we use our imagination a little, right? People are people. doesn't matter when they were born. <laughs> He's shaking in his boots, and he says, uh, Elisha, we're surrounded. And Elisha says to him, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes and the, of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When you're standing in your darkest moment, you've got to know that you're surrounded by angels there to help, there to assist. Because as the writer of Hebrews says, are, are they not just ministering spirits? that are sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation? That's you. Are they not just here to serve you? When God created you, he wasn't looking for another servant. He already had all the angels. And they stand waiting for someone to say, God, I need help. And he's like, there you go, Malchus, go. You know, whatever their name is. I know my sister always said that hers, hers was named Nanny. But they're here, and they're at attention, waiting to serve you. And he's not even just limited to angelic help. You know, we think back to the story of Daniel, where he gets thrown in the, in the lion's den, and they seal it up, and, you know, what's the first thing a hungry lion does when he sees flesh? Let's eat it. And so they toss Daniel in, and they seal it up, and they leave him there all night. And the king comes running down early in the morning with haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel, saying, the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And so the king's not really sure. Daniel has told him it'd be fine, but the king's not sure. He's like, has he actually helped? And he's waiting for the response. And Daniel says, my God, he sent his angel and he shut the lion's mouths so they've not hurt me. Come on. He has command over even the animals. I want to read a story this morning to you out of this book called The Names of God that I've been kind of peeking through every once in a while as we've been going through this series. And, uh, the writer of this book was telling a story. Well, we'll start back here. Her name is uh, Marilyn, and her husband's name is Wally. It says, when Wally and I first started in the ministry, I taught a soul-winning course, and I would take people door-to-door. -door, and if no one attended my classes, I would go out and knock on doors anyways. And I, I hated going to some of those places because they had the meanest dogs. And it was at this time that I, I began my ministry of rebuking dogs. <laughs> I would walk into places where the big signs boldly announced, beware of dog. And if a dog approached, I would rebuke him in the name of Jesus, and not one dog bit me. Why? Because Jehovah Sabaoth is the Lord of hosts of animals as well, and the Lord of hosts of people. He is our Lord of hosts, and we are a peculiar people whom God protects, and we're not alone in the battle. Here's the story I wanted to get to. It says, A visiting speaker at our church testified one night that Jehovah Sabaoth had protected her during an evangelistic tour to the Eastern Bloc countries. And while she and her husband were in Poland, the Holy Spirit instructed her to go with a portion of the team into East Germany. So just for clarification, this is before communism had fallen and it was still East and West Germany, and so there wasn't as much freedom of movement. And so she boarded a train... Uh, uh, after several days of ministry in East Germany, she boarded a train to return to her husband. She was totally unfamiliar with the part of East Germany, and after switching the train several times, she was unsure of where to go next. And when the train had stopped, everyone disembarked, thinking that she probably was to do the same. She stepped off the train and went over to ask directions from two Russian policemen who were in that particular station. The men immediately ordered her back onto the train, which by this time was totally abandoned. They followed her on board and began several hours of intense interrogation and physical abuse. 
And when they did not get the information they wanted, the policemen decided to arrest her and take her to the KGB headquarters. Unaware that the evangelist was fluent in Russian language, the policemen spoke openly. Why should we go to the expense of keeping this woman in jail, the head officer asked the guard. Let's just put her at the mercy of our German shepherds. Good idea, the guard responded. Then we'll be rid of her. These demoniacally controlled men were well aware that their German shepherds were no ordinary house pets. They were trained killers, and upon command, they would instantly gouge out a person's throat. So the policeman shoved this helpless woman into a cage where the dogs were kept and shouted, Kill her! Immediately, one of the dogs leapt forward for her throat, and in that same terror-stricken moment, she pointed at the dog and heard herself shout, I resist you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And instantly the dog dropped back and laid transfixed on the floor. The Russian police kept giving the command, kill, kill, kill. But the word of God had already proceeded from the woman's mouth. And the German shepherds were immobilized. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of animal hosts, had delivered this brave woman from the killer dogs. But that wasn't the end of this woman's encounter with Jehovah Sabaoth. Soon, a third uniformed official, whose appearance was totally different from the Russian guards, entered the room. This man had a kind face that radiated God's love and mercy. Quietly, he unlocked the cage and motioned the woman to walk toward the door. Come with me, he said. The kindly official ushered the woman into a private room where he served her a four-course meal which was a welcome refreshment since she had eaten nothing for over 24 hours. And then the guard escorted her through several checkpoints and through the maze of transfers necessary for her return to Poland. She could have never found her way without this stranger. And when the official had placed her safely on the last train, he handed her a first-class ticket, the finest seating the train had to offer. And then he looked into her grateful eyes and spoke a final exhortation. In all that you do, always, always remember, remain faithful to your Lord Jesus Christ to the very end. And he vanished before her eyes. She had been in the presence of an angel, of Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of angelic hosts. And so God had manifested himself to this woman in three ways. As the Lord of animal hosts, as the Lord of angelic hosts, and because she served as one of his warriors, he had protected her as one in the ranks of the hosts of saints. As born-again believers, we too serve the Lord of hosts of saints. God is our commander-in-chief, and although we will always have a battle to fight, remember what David said in 1 Samuel 17, 47, the battle is the Lord's. Isn't that awesome? That's such a great story. But he is not limited to natural means in which you can think of. Your job is to speak and declare, and her first things out of her mouth was, not happening in Jesus' name. What's been on your mouth? What's been on your declaration? What is your understanding of what's at your back? He's not just the host, the Lord of hosts of everything on earth. He is also host of heaven and earth. And the first use of the word Saba is back in Genesis chapter 2, where it says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. What was the host he was talking about? Was the stars, the sun, the moon. All of the heavens and the earth are also under his control. It says he counts the number of stars and he calls them all by name. You know, Paul said, God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and of earth. And so we can look through the Bible and find all kinds of stories where God didn't have to use a natural means to save them. He didn't have to use a sword and a spear. We can look to Deborah and her general Barak when they went against General Sisera. And General Sisera had his army outnumbered the nation of Israel. But Deborah trusted in the Lord of hosts. And God told her, you go to battle anyways. And Sisera had 900 iron chariots. And what they would do is they would just get those chariots a-moving, and they would just run right over the troops. Israel had no chariots. They had no horses. They just had some men with spears who weren't very well trained. 
And so what happened, as Deborah said, it's time to go to war. General Barak says, um, I'm really happy that you trust in God and that you believe he can de deliver. But if you want us to go to war, guess what, Deborah? you got to come too. <laughs> so Barak wasn't as believing as Deborah was. And so Deborah just turned and said to him, sure, I'll go. I'll go and fight with you. I'll go and fight right alongside you. I know the God in whom I believe. And as they began to march towards Sisera's army, and Sisera began to charge his, uh, his chariots down towards them to run them over, you know what God did? He overflowed the bank of the river Kidron so that all of the valley began to turn into mud. And what happened to those chariots? They got bogged down. And suddenly what was such a fierce military weapon against them was now useless. And what General Sisera did is he got up, he turned around, and he ran away. And he went and found a place to hide. And the end of the story is he ends up with a tent peg through his head. But that's beyond the point. God delivered them in a way that we couldn't fathom. Showing up to that battle, Deborah didn't know how God was going to deliver. She just knew that he was. And God took care of the rest. You know, we can look at the story of Hezekiah and Isaiah. God told Isaiah, go and tell Hezekiah he's he, his days are done. He's coming home, to, coming home to heaven. And so Isaiah shows up and says, Hezekiah, God says you're, you're done. And Hezekiah says, okay, and Isaiah leaves, and Hezekiah turns his face to the wall. And he says, God, I, I don't want to die right now. I want to stay. I want longer. And God says, okay. And as he's wa Isaiah's walking out, he says, go back and tell Hezekiah you can, have, you can have 15 more years. And so he goes in to Hezekiah and says, God's now said you can have 15 years. And Hezekiah says to Isaiah, how, how, how am I going to know that this is true? Well, what's going to be a sign that you're going to give me? And Isaiah says to him, well, let's do it this way. Do you want the sundial? Because obviously that's how they were telling the time back then, where the sun would hit on the dial. Do you want it to move forward 10 degrees or back 10 degrees? And Hezekiah said to him, it's no big thing for it to move forward 10 degrees. And isn't that true? Time keeps them moving forward. He's like, if you really want to prove to me that God has spoken to you, have it go back 10 degrees. And as they were standing there, the sun went back 10 degrees. And Hezekiah is like, oh, maybe I should have just believed. <laughs> you know, we can look at when, Je when Joshua was leading the armies of Israel through the promised land and taking it. They, they came across the Amorites, and it seemed like they weren't going to be able to defeat them. So what did God do? He just started launching hail out of the sky. And the, the, the army that was coming forward was like, doom, 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 doom. Come on, you can think about those, how big those big hailstones, they leave big holes in your car and everything. Imagine taking one of those in the head. And so Joshua chases them down. But as they're winning the battle, he looks and he's like, the sun's going down and the moon's coming up. So it's getting late in the day. Sun over here, moon over here. And he's like, if this gets dark, we're not going to be able to see what's going. We're going to have to stop the battle and start again. And we've already got momentum. And so what did Joshua do? Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel. Come on, go ahead and speak it out no matter who's listening. And he said, sun, stand still over Gibeon. Moon, you stay in the valley of Agilon. And so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. The sun stayed where it was until the battle was done. Because he's not just the host of people. He's not just the host of angels. He's not just the host of animals. He's the army commander over all of creation. And whatever he needs to do, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He, if he said it, he meant it, and he'll do whatever is needed to see it through. And, you know, there's just so many stories that we could talk about today, but I was thinking, let's wrap up with this last one. I remembered this story from when I was a kid of Dr. Norval Hayes. And uh, I wanted to get it in his words because I'd always heard somebody else tell it. And it, his book, Power for Life, he wrote this. He says, I've got a little mission in Florida. God moved on me one morning, and he told me to buy a place on the side of the highway and make a mission out of it. It cost me $90,000, which really in today's money, that's not a lot, but 
in modern-day Florida, a lot more. He says, close to our mission, and there was one subdivision there called Beverly Hills, where about 70,000 people lived, retired people lived. And one time when I was out at the mission, God showed me an orange grove with orange trees. And it was laid out in rows, about 25 acres, and God told me that he wanted me to buy it. And so I did that, and a couple of years ago, a big freeze came to Florida. And if you know Florida, Florida doesn't get frost, Florida doesn't get snow, it doesn't happen very often there. And he said, my orange grove was covered with snow and icicles hung from the trees. I mean, limbs were hanging all the way down to the ground, loaded with ripe oranges in January. My neighbor had a grove right across the street from me, and that was in the same condition. And if you know anything about citrus at all, you know that when that happens, you not only don't have oranges, but you also won't have any trees. You might as well start knocking them down and planting a new grove. In the natural, my orange grove was dead, all of the trees. But I believe in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's specifically talking about the working of miracles here. He said, I believe God's will, it's God's will to do anything for you if you can believe it. I just pulled my car up to my orange grove, and I sat there in the car by myself. I was afraid to take anybody with me because I was afraid they wouldn't believe it. And when you want a miracle, you've got to get all the unbelief out of your way. So I went by myself. And I think that's such an important point. If you can't find anybody that's going to agree with you, go by yourself. It's better not to have those words of unbelief, but counteracting what you believe and what you think. Come on. God said if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. I remember when Mark Hankins, when his wife dropped dead basically one day with an inoperable brain tumor, and they said she's not going to live. He went to the hospital, and he put a, a, a paper on the door that said, leave all unbelief behind. And he, he would talk to anybody who wanted to go in there and see her before they were allowed in there. And if they had fear and doubt in their heart, he's like, you don't come in here. No one other than those who believe are allowed anywhere near my wife. And now it's like 30 years later, and she's nothing wrong with her. But he said, I sat there, and I looked at the orange grove, Icicles hanging off the branches, knowing in the natural that every tree was dead, never to bear another orange. And I said, Lord Jesus, I obeyed you early one morning when your spirit came upon me and told me to buy this property, start a mission, and work from door to door with these elderly people. I've spent $90,000 buying this property. I started the mission for you, and I thank you for every soul that's been saved. Now I believe you are a miracle worker and that your power is available for me. And I come to you, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, and I bring this orange grove before you, and I ask you to release your miracle working power from heaven and let it come and hover over every tree and protect it. I say with my mouth that my trees will live and not die because Jesus said I can have whatever I say. I believe that your power will protect my trees, and I thank you, Lord. When I got through, I watched over the next three or four days as the sun popped out. The ice began to melt, and every orange on my tree fell off. Doesn't look like he's getting what he said. Every orange fell off. Every leaf on my tree fell off. And the same thing happened to my neighbor's trees. And I kept saying, thank you, Lord, for protecting my trees by your mighty hand. What, does your confession begin to shift based upon what you see? Does it begin to change because it didn't happen the way you expected? No. You hold fast to the confession of your faith because he who promised is faithful. So he said, I thank you, Lord, for protecting my trees by your mighty power. About three or four, four weeks later, it was time for the trees to start budding. Buds began to come out on all of my trees. Not one of them, not on 95% of them. I said buds began to come out on all of them. And I sold over 2,500 bushels of oranges. My neighbor's trees had died. And every other tree around there had died except mine. I know God loves my neighbor 
but my trees lived and his died. Why? Because I believe God for a miracle. And so God is not just the God over the things that you have control over. You can believe God for miracles. He can change heaven and earth to see things move for you. What are you willing to believe him for? Let's end this morning with these words from Martin Luther's famous hymn from 500 years ago. It says, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe, and his craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we turn there. Did we in our own strength confide? Come on. Did we in our own strength? Did we put our trust in our own strength? Do we put our strength in our own our trust in our own ability? Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side and the man of God's own choosing. Just ask what that who that may be. Christ Jesus it is he. Lord Savoeth is his name. From age to age, he is the same, and he must win the battle. And so we can have trust in God that no matter what the situation is, and we put these together with Jehovah Nisi, because when we put him as our banner before us and say, victory shall be mine, you don't have to work out all the details, but you do got to believe. You do got to put your trust in him and say, I will not be moved. God can do whatever he needs to do, but I'm not falling into danger. I'm not going under. I'm not having my things destroyed. My God is my protector. My God is my Lord of hosts. My God is my Jehovah Sabaoth. And so, Father, we thank you. That's what you still are today. Yes, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are the Lord of heaven's armies. You are the Lord over all of your sons and daughters who are part of those armies. You're Lord over all, master and commander. And so we place ourselves into your hand and we say you are ours to command, Lord. Whatever you want, whatever you tell me, Lord, I will believe and you'll see it through. And we thank you, Father, for it. In just a moment, our word care team is going to be up here at the front. They would love to believe with you. They would love to agree with you. Maybe you don't know what needs to be done in this time or what needs to be said. Get with someone who can believe, who knows how to believe and agree. They would love to do that with you. If you'd like to give this morning, you can do so. Wordchurch.ca forward slash give, or there's envelopes in the front, in front of your seats and a basket at the back. Whatever you choose to do, we just say thank you. Uh, for being faithful but above all we know that God is more faithful to all of us right he is faithful age to age without failing he is Jehovah Sabaoth our Lord of hosts you guys are blessed let's have some coffee and good conversation